God in His grace had allowed me to see my need, my helplessness, that old idol of being independent and capable and in control and competent remained elusive during this season. Instead of relying on myself and my own expertise, I was forced to allow others to step into my mess and help me. It was humbling, but it was also healing. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Y'all, it's March. Time (laughs) is flying. But we love March around here because it's our Stories of Hope luncheon. And so, Lindy, will you tell us about it before we jump into today's episode? Yes, the Stories of Hope luncheon is actually coming up March 15th here in Birmingham. And it is our annual fundraising event where, Robin, I think you called it a family reunion last year. Yes, that's how it Yes, yes. We just love having everybody in person in the room. We are going to share a fabulous story of hope that you do not want to miss. We are so thankful for our two legacy sponsors for the Stories of Hope luncheon. The first is King Cotton Fabrics. King Cotton is a family-owned fabric store that has been in business over 55 years with locations in Birmingham and Montgomery. Not only does King Cotton have beautiful fabrics for all your drapery and upholstery needs, they also offer hardware, trim, other resources to make custom pillows and headboards, and furniture for your home. Personally use them in several decorating projects, and I cannot tell you how incredible their customer service is. So check them out. Their website is kingcottonfabrics.com, and we have tagged them below in our show notes. So don't forget they have locations in Birmingham and Montgomery. Thank you, King Cotton Fabrics. Also, I want to thank SBH Jewelry, who is also a legacy sponsor. Sarah Beth Hagler brings her beautiful taste to her business of exquisite estate jewelry, beautiful rings, bracelets, pendants, anything that you might need for a special Mother's Day gift or graduation gift. SBH Jewelry is only on Instagram, so check out at SBH Jewelry to get in touch with Sarah Beth Hagler and see the beautiful pieces of jewelry that she offers. So again, thank you, King Cotton Fabrics and SBH Jewelry. So for more information, go to storytellerslive.org today. You'll see all the information on our website. Also, you can click on our show notes. Robin, tell us about our storyteller today. Y'all, this was a great story. I got to be in person. One of our goals of 2023 is visiting all of our communities. Mm -hmm. And so I drove to Memphis and got to hear Nell's story. And what I loved, you know, so often we get these stories and we get to hear them, but we don't experience the room outside of the Mm -hmm. ones that happened in Birmingham. And it was so clear to me that Nell was so loved. The room was packed and not only with her friends, but her mom's friends. And it was really, really sweet because you'll hear in her story why that was so important. So I'm going to tell you what, Nell Womack, you and I have something in common. We are both planners. (laughs) She identifies herself as a chronic planner. I loved that term, a chronic planner. So if you struggle with that, you are going to relate to her story. But you know, one thing that she also points us back to that I in particular like as well is just that when you let go of your plans and you rest in God's plan for your life, that is the only place that you're going to find peace and comfort. And you'll see that throughout her story. And what I love even more is how she still struggles with it a little bit today. (laughs) You'll hear that at the end as well. But here she is. I'm really, really grateful. Wow, this room is so full. I'm so grateful to be here um, to share the story that God has been writing in my life with all of you tonight. 
My hope and prayer has been that you would hear of the loving faithfulness of our God and his kindness to us in Jesus, as seen in my own tiny portion of God's really big story. I've spent the majority of my life knowing in my head that God is the sovereign king who lovingly and carefully rules over all things. However, outwardly I've lived most of my life believing that it must all be up to me somehow to figure things out, make a good plan, anticipate any possible needs or setbacks, and ultimately to be in control. I've wanted to hold the pen in my hand, crafting my own life story centered around my own desires, my hopes, my plans, and based upon my own cleverness and competence. In short, I've wanted to be God. However, in his great mercy, the Lord used several trials in my life to gently pry the pen from my prideful hands and allow me to see that the safest place I can be is in his care as his plan for my life unfolds. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that verse used to terrify me. I was going to make a plan, but God was going to lead me another direction. But he has shown me that there's great rest and relief coming from knowing that he guides me in the paths that he would have me go, all for his glory and my joy. Let me back up just a little bit and start at the very beginning. I'm the oldest of three girls. We grew up here in Memphis in a loving Christian home where I learned at a very early age about the love of Jesus. My mom stayed home when we were young, and then she later taught English and art history at an all-boys high school. My dad still runs an architecture firm here in town that was started by my grandfather. Dad showed us the value of working hard, using his God-given gifts for the good of the city where God had placed our family. We were active in our wonderful church, of which I'm still a member today. Dad was an elder, and Mom led countless women in weekly Bible studies. I don't know exactly when I became a Christian, but I do know that as I got older, somewhere in my middle school years, the Lord graciously opened my eyes to the fact that I was indeed a sinner in need of His grace. He called me to Himself, and I began to see a need to cease my striving to be good enough and to rest in the forgiveness that comes through the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. Our home was filled with fun and laughter. My parents were actually cool, and I knew this to be true because even during my middle school years, my friends wanted to hang out with them too. (laughs) Our family of five was close-knit, and I took my role as firstborn daughter very seriously. I was the self-appointed peacemaker charged with keeping my sisters in line and anticipating any possible problems in order to plan accordingly and maintain a facade of what I now recognize as unquestionable competence and capability. I've always valued predictability. Making plans, checking off my to-do list, and sticking to the schedule are my bread and butter. This carried over into my educational experiences. Grades were of the utmost importance to me, and I sailed through high school with my heart set on Auburn University, the alma mater of both my parents and the only college to which I applied and was accepted. (laughs) My plan was unfolding quite nicely. While at Auburn, I'm so grateful to have been plugged into Reformed University Fellowship, where my love for God's Word began to grow and my understanding of God's grace continued to expand. My college years were filled with rich friendships with godly women who faithfully pointed me to Jesus, and they still do that today. I uncharacteristically changed course a few times by switching my major, finally settling into elementary education. 
and consequently hanging around for one extra football season. This also allowed me to be available for a double date organized by my roommate with a guy named Joseph who was working on his second or maybe third senior year. (laughs) He says it was a blind date for him only because, of course, I knew who he was. Yeah, One date led to many more, and soon I was calling home to tell my parents about this small-town Georgia boy who drove a very large, very loud diesel truck. He loved to hunt, and he worked for the Auburn Fire Department. My family fell in love with him just like I had. And Joseph is one of the clearest gifts of God's goodness in my life. While I love to plan, he loves to play things by ear. Where I tend to worry, he tends to wing it. And where I pride myself on analyzing the potential for problems, he sees the chance to have some fun. Together we strike quite the balance, which has led to lots of sanctifying moments, mixed in with a whole lot of joy, for which I'm so grateful. After graduation, I moved back to Memphis to teach at the elementary school I attended and loved, and 17 years later, I'm still there today. I lived back at home with mom and dad while I waited on a ring, and those are some days I truly treasure. While we were growing up, mom had a habit of writing lunchbox poems for each of her daughters, and this daily practice continued even at my first job. (laughs) Slightly embarrassed, I would discreetly read them in the teacher's lounge. Roses are red, your bed is made, have a great day teaching sixth grade. (laughs) Mom was always doing these little things that it turns out were pretty big after all. She knew how to care deeply for people in just the most ordinary ways. The ring finally came, and Joseph and I were married in June 2007. Once again, my plan was unfolding quite nicely. Here, I had a loving husband, a great teaching gig, a cute little starter home, and a dog we both adored. A few years later, we figured it was time to begin writing the next chapter of this life we had created, and Joseph and I began trying to grow our family in January of 2009. I was shocked when the months rolled by and there was no positive pregnancy test. After nearly a year, we decided to seek medical help. These months were the beginning of some of the most difficult years of my life. As we waited for this deep desire to be filled, I often wondered why God would withhold something he called good, a child from us. I couldn't understand why he would delay this blessing. Was I not fit to be a mother? Was this some kind of punishment for not depending on him enough? Why were so many others so easily or even unintentionally becoming moms while I failed month after month to do so? I felt so much shame over my perceived incompetence over the fact that I was incapable of fixing this problem. And this was coupled with the looming, worry-filled question on my mind, what if I never get to have a baby? I wanted to rip the pen out of God's hand and start scrawling out my story my way. This was not a part of my plan. Some of you undoubtedly know the pain of infertility and the loneliness that often comes with it. God in his kindness provided me with a handful of friends who either were or had been in the same boat, and a community of fellow strugglers grew around me. We met regularly to pray together, and in addition, our friends and families were crying out to God on our behalf. Mom told me later that she would walk by our house in the neighborhood and pray that God would fill every room with babies. And he heard that prayer. A friend kept reminding me that he was always working. He never stops. After many months of medication and some less invasive fertility treatments, we somewhat reluctantly turned to in vitro fertilization. 
IVF felt like a big step and a big risk, physically, emotionally, and financially. But as doors continued to open, we went ahead with it. In June 2011, we had our first embryo transfer, which was unsuccessful. This was followed a few months later by a miscarriage of our remaining embryo. We were, needless to say, devastated. Our doctor encouraged us to take a year off from treatment, and we prayed for a baby in the meantime. A year later, summer rolled around, and we decided to try IVF one last time while I was off from teaching. The doctor tweaked my medication, and my numbers were looking much, much better this round. We were able to transfer two top-notch embryos, and it turns out one was kind of like me, an overachiever. (laughs) (laughs) On July 4th, 2012, we headed in for some blood work that would reveal the best news. I was pregnant. I'll never forget getting that phone call from the nurse. We immediately shared the exciting news with our families and friends. It was a joyful 4th of July, for sure, celebrating the answer to so many prayers. On July 23rd, 2012. It's also a day I will never forget. It was time for our first ultrasound, so Joseph and I sat in that dark room while the tech took a look at the images on the screen, and I will never forget her exact words. Well, there's a lot going on in here. (laughs) (laughs) Not one, not two, but three healthy babies were there pointed out to us. We were having triplets. I laughed and Joseph cried. (laughs) We were shocked, thrilled, scared, and overjoyed all at the same time. I remember having to tell Joseph's parents the news myself because they thought for sure he was joking. (laughs) The pregnancy itself, thankfully, was very smooth. Um, A subsequent scan revealed one boy and identical twin girls that overachieving embryo had split. I was put on bed rest in October at 21 weeks. Many friends and family members rallied around us during those days, and at the top of the list was my mom. Even though she had not been feeling quite like herself, she served us so well and was so excited to take on this long-awaited role as grandmother. On January 5, 2013, at 30 weeks pregnant, the triplets arrived via emergency C-section. I remember nothing of that day, having been put under general anesthesia. Camille was 2 pounds, 13 ounces. Annie was 2 pounds, 15 ounces, and big boy Rob was 3 pounds, 2 ounces. They were tiny, and they were whisked away to the NICU where they began to learn how to master eating and breathing. Those days were a strange kind of in-between for us as we traveled back and forth from our home to the hospital, already feeling the need to grow an extra arm in order to take care of three babies. However, they had excellent care, and they continued to make progress towards a homecoming. Meanwhile, on January 17th, just 12 days after their birth, mom quietly slipped out of a NICU visit to go see a doctor who had ordered a CT scan to try and figure out why she was having some urinary symptoms. She went by herself to that appointment, where she learned that there was a mass on her bladder. My aunt called me while I was at the NICU. All she said was, I'm coming to pick you up now. Don't fret. She told me in the car that mom had cancer. And I remember how freely the tears flowed on the drive from Methodist Germantown to our house in East Memphis. The news wasn't good. Later scans revealed that this was stage four bladder cancer. Doctors told us there was no medical reason a healthy 53-year-old non-smoking woman should ever receive this diagnosis. A surgery was scheduled to see if they could remove a good portion of the tumor. The details of surgery day are seared into my memory. 
I walked back and forth through the hospital's underground tunnel, from the NICU with the babies to the OR waiting room where our family was gathered. Afterwards, the surgeon shared more bad news about how aggressive and nasty this cancer was. Our pastor was there, and he pulled the three of us girls aside. We cried and hugged, and he reminded us not to worry about what comes next, quoting Elizabeth Elliot, there is no grace for our imaginations. Over the next few months, the babies continued to grow stronger and healthier. They came home from the hospital around Valentine's Day. And at the same time, mom grew sicker with round after round of unsuccessful chemo and a fast-growing cancer that was taking over her body. In the summer of 2013, right around the 4th of July, and one year after our joyful pregnancy announcement, mom was put on hospice. Our friends and family once again rallied around us, feeding us for months, covering us in prayer, joining in evening walks around the neighborhood with mom in her wheelchair and the triple stroller at its side. We got those babies on a four-hour feeding schedule as soon as possible, and mom's friends created an army of helpers that called themselves Nails Nannies to come help me feed the triplets. We were loved, helped, and carried, and I was at the end of my rope. God in his grace had allowed me to see my need, my helplessness, that old idol of being independent and capable and in control and competent remained elusive during this season. Instead of relying on myself and my own expertise, I was forced to allow others to step into my mess and help me. It was humbling, but it was also healing. Those days are a blur, but there are some things that I can remember that I've taken away. First, the body of Christ is a beautiful, essential instrument of God's grace. Our church family loved us so well and ministered to us in our trials. From Joseph's buddies parking outside of the NICU window and praying at the hospital to dropping off diapers or meals, they didn't stop to ask what we needed. They just stepped in. We saw so clearly the blessing of being in a community of believers who are committed to Jesus and to one another. Second, God really does mean what he said in 2 Corinthians 12.8. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I've never felt weaker than I did during that time in my life. Yet I've also never felt the power of Christ in such a real, tangible way. He showers us with grace when we are at our weakest. I felt hidden in his care, safe and protected by his presence. During her illness, Mom clung to Psalm 131. It's a short one. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. She knew God was her only hope, and she rested in his care. Mom's calmed and quieted soul was ready to go home to heaven, and she did just that in the early morning hours of Friday, August 9, 2013. She was finally healed and whole and with her Savior that day, and we rejoiced in that. We met with our pastors and decided to go ahead with the already scheduled baptism of our babies that Sunday. The juxtaposition of joy and sorrow that we were met with that weekend was jarring. On one hand, a triple baptism, testimonies of God's goodness and answers to prayer, and a burial, a reminder that death is such an intruder and this world is so broken. A few days later, our family traveled to Rosemary Beach, one of mom's favorite places. 
While we were there, a friend sent us an article from the front page of the Commercial Appeal newspaper. There was a picture of mom holding the babies in the NICU with the most satisfied, peaceful smile on her face. A local journalist had written a beautiful article about many of the events I've just finished describing. It still makes me smile that she was actually on the front page news. I know she would totally roll her eyes at that. (laughs) But this was a story that resonated with so many people who've experienced this kind of love and loss. I miss mom every single day, and I wish so much that she could be here. I think I'll always be grieving this loss on this side of heaven. It comes out of nowhere sometimes and hits me all over again that she's not here. I have no idea why God's plan included her early departure from earth. My sister shared this Jim Elliott quote with me. I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I would have kept on earth until they were older. God is peopling eternity, and I must not restrict him to old men and women. If I'm being honest, in preparing to share my story, it was much easier to reflect on how God was working back then. Those events are like a highlight reel that plays on repeat, and the core memories of what happened are so fresh. How God worked so clearly in our pain and in our joy. I feel like I'm still in the middle of the next chapter, and it's a little trickier to stop and dig deep and determine what I've been learning here lately. It's now been a decade since most of this went down. The triplets just turned 10 this month, and they are healthy, happy fourth graders. I still love to make and stick to a plan, but of course, there's nothing like being a parent to provide you with some real concrete evidence that you are not in control of any situation. (laughs) The reality is that I'm still learning every day to trust his plan and his care. I still grasp at control and try to figure things out on my own, often not seeking him. God continues to remind me that I'm not the one writing my life story or those of my children, and that I'm not the one in control, but that that's a good thing because the author of all of our stories is the one who created all things, knows all things, and loves us more than we can imagine. His plan and purposes are so much bigger than my short-sighted attempts at managing my tomorrows. I admit that my identity as a chronic planner often continues to rear its ugly head in the worst ways. One such instance occurred just a few weeks ago, the day before the triplets turned 10. At 3 o'clock each day, I feel like my job really begins as we head home for homework and such, and I had mapped out this particular afternoon with some precision. But after discovering one child likely had an ear infection, we rushed to the pediatrician's office and then to Walgreens for the medicine. Then it was home to conquer homework while baking homemade chocolate chip bars that I decided to make for some reason for their classes. That meant three batches, only to find I was short one stick of butter. While I scrambled to send my kids fetch one from a neighbor, I received a notification on my phone that my Amazon packages were delayed and that I would not have anything for my kids to open the next morning on their birthday. (laughs) As I was spinning my wheels trying to figure out what I could wrap up to give them, I proceeded to pour the egg whites I just separated for cupcakes I was also making onto the kitchen floor. I let out a loud, frustrated yell that honestly had been brewing for quite a few days at that point. My startled kids looked up at me from their homework, and one of my sweet daughters offered me some advice. Mom, she said, I can give you some tips on having patience if you want. (laughs) (laughs) In the past, I might have been tempted to hide away in shame that I had let myself break down like that in front of my children, 
But God has taught me the power of being open with them about my own sin and shortcomings and asking them to forgive me, reminding them that I'm in need of Jesus just like they are. This kind of vulnerability is new for me, and I'm still a little scared to reveal the fact that I might be in need of some help in some way. I might not have it all together after all. However, letting my own helplessness show has been freeing as I've been reminded of the way God meets all of my needs in Jesus. I can laugh now about these interruptions to the day that I had planned a few weeks ago, but the reality is that we face much bigger, more devastating problems, tragedies that rock entire church families and communities, violence and fear in our city, dreaded diagnosis that comes out of nowhere. So what do we do with that? I think we take it to him. We cry out, we lament, we ask him why, and we can ask without any shame and freely because he's our loving father, and that's what kids do to their parents. As Psalm 91 says, we make the most high God our dwelling place, our shelter. We live knowing he is with us, and we rest in the shadow of the almighty God. One way we can do this is by spending time in his word, grounding ourselves in the truth about who he is past several years, I've read through the Bible from cover to cover, and I genuinely look forward to this daily practice every morning. It's been a gift to look for glimpses of Jesus in every part of Scripture and to learn to search for what each story tells us about God's character. Immersing myself in the big story of the Bible has helped me to learn to trust Him as He lovingly writes each chapter of mine and my family's stories, too. We all have a story to tell. Maybe mine strikes a chord with you. Many of you have undoubtedly experienced profound joy and unimaginable sorrow, sometimes at the same time. Life is unpredictable, and our earthly futures are filled with unknowns. For planners like me, this notion can fill me with fear as I contemplate all of the what-ifs, until I remember to rest in His care and the certainty that in the end, our eternal future is secure in Christ. Just as Mom ultimately did receive healing, in the arms of Jesus. We will all one day be gathered to him. Until then, we have only one place to turn for comfort when times are dark or confusing or scary. At mom's funeral, we recited the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Listen to it. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is where peace is found where fears are stilled, where strivings cease. We belong to him. Even when we feel like we're barely hanging on, he will never lose his grip on us. Our souls can be calmed and quieted. And as the hymn says, in every change, he faithful will remain. And as our stories unfold, we can praise the Lord. We are not the ones holding the pen. 
If you were like me when you were listening to the end of Nell's story, she mentions the Heidelberg Catechism. And and you might have been like, what in the world is that? So I did want to just kind of give you a little bit of a background of what that Heidelberg Catechism is. It was actually written, guys, in the 1500s by a man that was from Germany. And it was really just a tool used to give to young pastors to take into churches. And it was divided into 52 sections. And so each Sunday of the year, the pastor would take a question out of this catechism, answer it with scripture, and then be able to explain how to apply it to your life. It's really an incredibly interesting tool. If you're interested in looking it up, we have provided a link in the show notes as well. But it talks about things like, why did God create people wicked? Did he create people wicked? How are we washed with Christ's blood? I mean, all of these just simple questions that kind of had some deep answers. And and honestly, if you're looking for a tool to be able to share your faith with other people and answers to give them, it's a great one to look at. So I did just want to start off with well, that. Robin's, Robin's like, wow, I was <laughs> <beautiful>. on this. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that it does talk about in that catechism is just how God does work all things for good. And that was really a large part of what Nell's story was about is, is learning how to lean into God's plan and trust that he's working all things for good. I think one of the things that stood out to you, Robin, was just the highlight reel. Yeah, because, yeah. And that's where we see that God does work all things for good. Exactly. Because she talks about that when she was in the middle, it was hard to see what God was doing. But when you look back, you're able to see exactly mm-hmm. where he was. And it's something that we hear so often with our storytellers. You know, I coach a lot of them. I work with our communities on coaching their own storytellers. And it's just such a big part of looking back and remembering what God has done. It's so important. You know, Katie, it even reminds me of a time a few, maybe a month ago or so that you and I were having a discussion because you were doing stuff with your mom Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of stress involved. And you're like, I'm just trying to figure out what God is doing. (laughs) And I looked at you and I was like, why? <laughs> You're in the middle yeah. of it. It's so hard to see what mm-hmm. the Lord is doing in the middle of it. Give yourself yeah. some grace. Mm-hmm. Give yourself some space. And in a few months time, yeah. maybe even a year, mm-hmm. you'll be able to look back and see what he has done. Yeah. And it's just such a good reminder. If that's you today and you're struggling. Absolutely. Take it's me. Advice. It's me. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I'm still trying to figure out what he's teaching me. <laughs> but I know, like, honestly, this kind of story reminds me that I know maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, I will be able to look back at this yep. time and see him clearly and what he was doing. But when you are in the midst of it, I, I loved it when Robin actually took the pressure off of myself right. to be like, what's That's he right. teaching me? Right. What's he teaching <laughs> right. me? Well, and just like Nell admitted her, her, her tendency to um, control things and want to plan things. And I think so many times you said you're yes. a chronic planner. I <laughs> tend to con- like to control things myself. I don't know if y'all know that about me, but um, <laughs> so, so when, when you're in that mindset it's often, okay, Lord, yes, I trust you as long as you're doing what I want you to do. A hundred percent, yes. Boy, God is good as long as he's doing what I want him to do. But when those things enter, like infertility here, yeah. Satan immediately attacks our thoughts yeah. and says, you're not good enough. Yes. You're not going to be a good mom. You're not worthy of a baby. Yeah, All yeah. those lies that are straight from Satan. And so we do have to remember, Lord, I can trust you in the details. I know yeah. you're working and it, and I may not see it for 
a month, six months, yeah. two years, 10 years, but I know you're working. And, and so I just appreciated her honesty in that, not to mention the community that surrounded you. You, yeah. you saw that visually I did. in the it was room. so sweet. And how powerful mm-hmm. that was. You know, this, this was one of those stories that caught me off guard. I, I got a little lump in my throat mm-hmm. just about the mom. And yeah. I, I was like, she's my age. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so just the, the beauty and the just how fragile life is. It was just a really sweet time. And I'm so thankful for Nell's willingness to share. You know, like Lindy, like you said, this is so relatable. Okay, maybe Katie, you said mm-hmm. it. It's so relatable in all of our lives. We mm-hmm. may not have walked through this specific journey, but we've all walked through a season of wanting to see what the Lord is doing and going, where are you? Yes. And and it just doesn't work that way. And so I'm so thankful for Nell being vulnerable and sharing this story. I know that one of our biggest requests is stories of infertility. This is a great one to pass along to your friends. Mm -hmm. If it's something that's happening in your life, a friend's life, it's a great story to pass along. And encouragement for loss. There's so much here. Or even for those of us that are just planners. That's right. (laughs) So thanks so much for listening today. We do love when you share our stories. We encourage you to do that. And if you enjoyed it today, would you go rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts? There's a place where you can give it four five stars. We love a five star (laughs) that you can actually write a review. And those are important because it's how people find our podcast. And so thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.